Welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. I'm Matt Wynn, and this week we're speaking to Angie Jones. And I'm really excited to have Angie on. I've been following her for ages. Um, she's kind of really renowned um, in the testing community. And it sometimes seems to me that, like, the testing community and my world of sort of developer first BDD practitioners don't really hang out enough. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of cross that bridge today. Um, and um, yeah, Angie, do you want to tell the listeners a bit about where you've come from and who you are and what you're doing at the moment? Sure. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm a senior automation engineer and I'm currently working at Twitter um, in San Francisco. And yeah, so I do cool like automation type things, um, specifically around testing. There we go. So hopefully lots of our listeners are doing a similar job. Um, right. So like, I was interested just to know, first of all, how you got into this whole thing. Like how long have you been doing this? And sometimes people in a testing background that like, came from other jobs like support and stuff like that. Or did you drift into it from development or how did you how did you get into this game yeah so it was an interesting story I um I'm majored in computer science in college and um actually got certified as a java programmer my senior year in college and so I was offered a job um to come and work as uh as a developer and uh when you offer college hires a job, you usually do that fairly early in the year, um, you know, like early spring or so, and they don't actually start until summertime. Mm. So that's what happened with me. And by the time I got there, there was a reorg um, in that company. So that developer position was no longer available. <laughs> so um, they were like, oh, we have this test automation position. And so I, I was like, oh, okay, well, what is that? Um, I really want to do programming. You know, I had this new shiny certification and everything. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. Um, and they were like, no, 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 this is a programming job as well. So I said, okay. Um, so I took the position and um, learned a lot about testing um, and automation as well. But in my mind, I still kind of had this, um, like this hierarchy between development and testing where, you know, developers were superior to testers in my head. And I feel like I was being slighted, you know? And so I, um, after like maybe two years or so, I say, you know what, I want to, I want to do that development job. And, uh, my manager was like, are you sure? Because, you know, you're really good at this automation <laughs> thing. I think that might really be good. your niche. <laughs> yeah, that might be your niche. And so I'm like, no, 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 I want that development job. So they were like, okay. And uh, I got the development job. And, man, I absolutely hated it. Mm. I mean, dreaded it. And uh, it was still programming. So I couldn't figure out what was so different and why I wasn't enjoying this. But what I realized is that, that the context was very different. Um, when I was doing uh, automation, I had like this whole uh, big picture view of the product. 
um, not only how it worked, but also how users were going to use it, right? So my focus was more on uh, the customer-driven side and coming up with scenarios and then coding around that. So that was more exciting to me and more rewarding. Um, so I got out of the development position as, as fast as I could. I did maybe like a year or two um, doing development, and I got back into automation um, and that's definitely where I belong. So you say automation, and like when I think about automation, I think about that as being quite a narrow job where you're just, you know, so many places I go, um, and I've seen you talk about this as well, you have like this one person who sits in the corner of the room <laughs> and the developers are all there like working together, well, somewhat maybe, um, yeah. talking with each other at least, and like writing all this buggy code and then right. at the end of the week they like push it all to an environment and then this poor person in the corner <laughs> has to find all their bugs and kind of like mop up all the mess that they've been making all week you know and um I, so I think about automation in that way is like quite a narrow job it's uh -huh. quite kind of limited but it's, it's interesting so you but it's I, it sounds like it's almost like the automation is part of it, but it's almost more what you're, what you like about it is that you get that holistic view. You're closer to the customer than you often are when you when you're deep in the engineering mechanics yeah. of implementation. Right. So um, definitely closer to the customer. Definitely get that holistic view. But it's also a really collaborative role as well, especially now in the age of uh, agile methodology. Right. So before it used to be where, yep, they would pass on um, maybe like a written test scenario um, in a in a Excel spreadsheet or something <laughs> tragic and uh, yeah you would go in the corner and you would code this stuff up but now um, especially if you're doing automation right it's much more collaborative so I'm talking with lots of different people on the team I talk with product to see what is it that we should even be automating right so even though we come up with these scenarios are all of them right to automate most times they're not. Um, they're things that we want to test, but the amount of effort um, that we put into automating something, we want to get something back on that investment, right? And so making sure that we're automating the right things, making sure that I get information from product owners and business analysts about um, how are our customers usually using the product. So as a tester, I can come up with scenarios all day, but how are they actually using it? Do we have some analytics around that? So I talk with product. I also talk with testers a lot. Um, so now that I know what I want to automate, help me understand how these scenarios should work. Um, I get information from them as well about what are some of the problematic areas of the application that you see. Um, maybe we want to put some more focus on automation around those areas. And then development, um, I talk with them a lot as well in understanding um, what do we have as far as a tech stack and how can automation plug into that. So I'm one of those automation people who don't believe in doing every single automated test at the UI layer, for example. And so I like to, uh, <laughs> I like to uh, do things at the API layer if I can, mm -hmm. or, you know, 
integrate with the database or whatever I can to make it uh, less fragile. Mm. And so I work with development um, a lot on that. Like, what do we have here? Are there any tools that you all already have that I can plug into? Um, and recently, um, been working with them to make sure what I'm doing is something that they can maintain as well. Mm. So I like to say train to maintain. Um, maintenance of automation is a beast and trying to do that as well as produce new automation is just very time consuming. So having developers buy in and um, having them comfortable with the tools that I'm using is a big uh, push towards getting the adoption from them. Yeah, that's a really big one. I mean, I think that's the other issue that I've seen in that situation with the lone automation engineer sitting in the corner, getting all the bugs thrown over the wall at them at the end of the week is that eventually that person gets tired or finds something more interesting to do somewhere else and they walk away and there's this whole huge chunk of code that's been doing something really valuable for the team and nobody knows any of that code at all. Sometimes it's even written in a different language, right? Like, yeah. Maybe the t- I remember a team that were writing a C++ uh, Windows application and this guy was writing this amazing stuff using, what was he using? He was using Ruby and Sekuli to like click the buttons in the Windows app and it was like amazing stuff that he'd built. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, nobody else on the team understood it or knew anything about it. And so when he left, they just had this legacy code that gradually you know more and more of the tests started to fail and no one no one ever and it's just a waste it's really interesting because i i usually take the stance of choosing the language that the automation um engineers are most comfortable with Mm. the reason for that is because they're the ones who have to live with it day in and day out right and my argument is usually okay if developers are gonna pitch in and do something um, wouldn't they be more likely able to adjust to a new right. language since they're Things, uh, you know, the, the professional, professional developers, yeah. right? Um, and and I've I've had other friends and people in the industry who disagree with that um, and feel that automation should align uh, with the production uh, language that's being used. And the reason for that is because you feel like you can get buy-in. I guess um, I would say... Mm, you can do that. Like right now I'm in that situation where I'm doing a new iOS automation framework and I've never done iOS programming before. Um, so the reason I needed to, um, I was just going to use like, uh, Appium or whatever. Right. And so I could use Java, which I'm very comfortable with. And uh, my arguments to management was like, okay, if we need to hire additional automation engineers, we're much more likely to find people who know Java. But their argument back to me was, well, we definitely want development to be involved in this and to help maintain it. And if it's in Java and you have a bunch of iOS developers, the likelihood of that is not high. So I lost that battle and I'm um, actually writing automation in Swift now, which is Mm. new to me. So that's it's a bit uncomfortable for me because that's not what I'm used to. So I'm learning a new language and I'm the one who has to live with this day in and day out. But Mm. I can also see the point where um you know development will jump in if if tests are breaking it won't necessarily be my responsibility to figure out what's wrong with those tests but development they understand the language they can jump in and fix them themselves 
Yeah. And then it can maybe start to blur the lines even a little bit and and it can become everybody's responsibility to keep those tests yeah. alive and healthy rather than it being somebody else's job. That's cool. I think the other thing that... Because um, I've been through that as well and, like, flip-flopped a bit, and I've seen some... The thing is I've, I've you know, like, um, seen lots of teams try different strategies and nearly always seen that where the tests are written in a different language to the implementation, it doesn't end well. I've seen it end really <laughs> badly sometimes. And um, um, the other the other thing, and like you know, you were talking about trying to have your tests like reach under the covers, reach behind the mm-hmm. behind the screen. Um, that obviously all becomes a lot easier as well if you're using the same platform to run the tests on as as the applications written in, because then you can start you know just using their data access layer to query the database or stick stuff yeah. into the database and. Um, it all starts to to, to, to to mesh a lot better that way as well. That's that's very true. I can't yeah. see that. Now that I'm in the same um, repository as development, I can easily use some of the tools that they've developed um, yeah. to make my life easier. Even as, as things like um, um, the identifiers and stuff that, they've, I, that they're using for web elements, you know, I can use that resource as opposed to trying to create my own, which is one where we see a lot of flaky tests where I'm trying to maintain my copy of what the IDs look like mm. and development may have some other version of that. And so when they change theirs, my test breaks. But now I can plug right into what they're using. So if they make a change, that's fine. My test is still okay. So there are things like that. There are definitely some advantages. Um but yeah, I think I think I guess my my golden rule on that would be um as long as you're going to have development to participate, then I think it's okay. I see sometimes where teams have unrealistic expectations where development has no interest or plans to, to assist with this automation at all, right? Mm. And so you think, oh, well, maybe if we do it in the same language that they're using, then they'll jump in. And they don't. So well, yeah, I've I think even it's a, seen it's a it deeper issue. The, uh they thought like the developers were using PHP and they actually thought for themselves, hey, I'd quite like to learn Ruby. And there's this really <laughs> nice framework for testing applications through a browser called WebRat for Ruby or uh, Capybara as it, as it became. So let's use Ruby for all our tests. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so they were like amateuring at, at being Ruby programmers ah. in their spare time. Yeah. Didn't How'd that well. work out? Didn't end well. Didn't end well. <laughs> Um, I, I want to go back. So I, I'm really interested in this kind of them, them and us thing that you've obviously experienced, <laughs> and I've seen it. And like, um, I hate it. I, I, I just know. think, I just think, like, well, uh, who was it? I think is it. Um, I'm pretty sure Lisa Crispin and Janet Gregory write, write about it in Agile Testing, but I've I've also seen Elizabeth Hendrickson talk about it as well. Like, everybody's just a developer, you know. At the end of the day, all of us are just di- like trying to develop the application and we just have different facets that we're good at or interested in or, um, you know, so it's, and like the, the kind of distinctions between all these different disciplines are a little bit artificial, but that hierarchy really, it really is there, isn't it? In so many places, like it is. And why? I, I, those women are my heroes. Um, all three of them. And I respect what they 
say and what they've written in the research and, and stuff that they've done. Um, I don't know. It's, I've experienced some different things. It's like those are ideals that mm. um, I would love to be a part of, but it's not something that I see everywhere. And there are some companies that are better at it than others, right? But there are a vast majority of companies who are just not there yet. They're just not that sophisticated um, in that whole agile journey. And so mm. there are some clear lines and distinguishments between the roles. And mm. even if we're all developers and we all play to our strengths, there's still like some differences, right? So I, I more think of it as kind of one team type approach mm. um, where we're all trying to get this product done. But in that, yeah, we do have different roles in how we get that done. Yeah. And as long as we're working together, as long as we kind of diminish, I think, that whole hierarchy that I talked about, um, that was my first job out of college. And I looked at it that way. You know, I yeah. hadn't been around. So it wasn't something that was taught to me. This was something that I saw, like real life, you know, yeah. Um I think that's a that's kind of blurring a bit now. I definitely I definitely don't view development as superior to me anymore. Um, I do do a lot of what they do as well, as far as programming and architecture and design and all of those good things. Um, but there are some distinct differences as well in what I do. Yeah, that broader thinking, and or, well, you'd like developers to have that broader thinking. I think that. Test automation is possibly harder than just regular software development. What do you think? When I so I did a little bit of both, right? Um, I think that the automation was much more challenging for me than the yeah. development piece was, um, and it could have been the level of development I was at the time. I was fairly junior developer, so I was getting. Oh, here's a feature, develop this feature, right? That seemed more like I of course I, I collaborated with other developers, but that was more of a silo effort to me than automation was. Um and in automation I just do so much more. Like I feel like I exercise um object-oriented principles a lot more. Um I I feel like clean code is critical um maybe it is in development too i'm sure it is but it's <laughs> but i feel so. like everything is going to collapse here in automation if i yeah. don't you know do this right um but yeah i i don't know if it's more difficult i definitely feel like i um i get to see more of like the development and architecture side of things yeah. in the automation role than i did when i was just doing production programming so anybody, basically what you're saying is anybody working in a developer job right now, go and apply for a test automation engineer job. You're <laughs> going to enjoy it loads more. You might, but you need to learn something a little bit too. So I had this, um, one, of, one of the first pieces that I wrote was um, why developers shouldn't lead your automation efforts. And I still to this day get a lot of flack about that article. It's very controversial because I'm saying that um, when we start automation projects and we being like management when management starts automation projects a lot of times they'll say okay um let's get one of the developers to do this 
And I know that that is not the right approach from my experiences. Um, never have I seen that work where development leads the project and it's this huge success. It might be okay for a little while, but the attention that's needed to it um, is not something that's maintained for a long period of time. And there's a lot that um, you need to learn about automation. I do feel that it's a craft um, with a lot of different skills, more than just programming. And sure, development can do this, but what I find is that they're busy perfecting their own craft, whatever it is that they're doing, that's their main job. So they're not spending the time or the energy to learn all of the nuances about test automation and how do you build a stable framework and what are these mm. different design patterns that um, are used in test automation and and all of this kind of stuff, right? And so I have like this list of the things that they would need to pick up in order to do this. And so a lot of people read that and automatically they think that I'm saying developers can't do automation, like they're just not as good. And that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that they don't have the time to invest yeah. in learning that craft and constantly learn. It's not a, oh, let me read one book kind of thing. I mean, I breathe this stuff and I'm reading it on a daily basis. I couldn't imagine doing that and also learning everything it is that they learn for their craft. Yeah. You see yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 and so there's yeah, yeah. a difference there. And I think they can absolutely collaborate with it but the key point that everyone misses in that article and it's right there in the title is the lead part i don't think that yeah. they should lead the automation effort so i think that should definitely be an automation engineer someone who is actually studying this as a craft and staying up to date with all of the different uh concepts and design patterns and in um failure stories and you know tools and techniques and bringing that to the team and helping to foster that collaboration from everyone yeah so that's interesting yeah and like that they don't give it the attention but they're like isn't it just because they haven't learned to do bdd yet like if these developers were caring about their tests because they were using them to guide their development every day, then then wouldn't they pay the attention? I can sit, I can take what you're saying though about like mm -hmm. the the whole additional area of craft mm -hmm. and the and the amount. It's almost like what you're saying is that people underestimate yes. how much there is to it to be able exactly. to do it well. It's more than just throwing some code at it, right? Yeah. Um, and so for the BDD, so I did consult with the team once where we were doing BDD, and this definitely changed how developers um, interacted with the automation. They were in it more. They were doing it more. However, still those key missing pieces. So the way they treated this was not the way they treated their production code. Right, Their yeah. production code This was is the hierarchy again. Yeah. <laughs> their production code was clean. It was beautiful. Yeah. Their test code, however, like the... It's only the, the whole, test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, so they did the scenarios fine. The feature files were fine. But once it got to the coding part, just slapped yeah. it all together, right? There, there was no, I didn't see like the, the you know, the key object-oriented principles. I didn't see that anywhere in here. I didn't see um, anywhere where they were trying to reuse code and, and just nothing clean about it. It was yeah. a nightmare, actually. <laughs> but um, that was as good as it got as far as, you know, right. developers 
doing this. And I feel like that's where things start crumbling. So eventually um, the tests stopped working at some point, right? Because they weren't created with care and um, with maintenance and mm. um, extension in mind. So tell me about those patterns that that you would use then when you started to see that crumbling thing happen and there was this layer of like messy code between the the step definitions and the application mm-hmm. what are the what are some patterns that you use then that, that people one, should know about or, yeah, lo- or, yeah, yeah. or look into so one that i saw um that's, that stands out to me um was all of the step definitions were written in this one big step of definition file so like all of the code was there and so it was just so messy there was um, no division between uh, different components of the application or things like that. Um, and so it became really hard to maintain when you wanted to add additional um, features. Or So we had many feature files, but just that one step definition, which, which was thousands and thousands of lines of code. And so it was really hard to see, like, what, did we, what do we already have, right? What steps do we already have? What can we reuse? What can we make a little bit more generic so that um, it can be used across multiple feature files? Um, that just became really messy. And so... Instead of trying to reuse stuff, it would be like, oh, forget it. Let me just make another one, <laughs> make another method in here. And so, it, you know, it just became a mess with a lot of redundancy and duplicated code. And hmm. um, you just couldn't find anything in there. What else? What else have you seen teams do wrong to really make a mess? Come on. I don't want to be negative, Nancy. <laughs> no, but it's funny, though, isn't it, sometimes? And, and people will recognize this and they'll know they've made these mistakes themselves. It's like... What else have you seen? Um, What's the pain? So one one thing I've seen is where testers are driving um, the cucumber adoption. And I'm not going to say BDD because they struggle to get uh, team-level support. Mm. And I think we've talked about this, Matt, a little bit online. But um, test managers, for example, will see, oh, wow, look at this cool cucumber tool. I can have my testers or better yet, I can have the business analysts and the development and everybody. We get together. We have the three amigos meetings and we're going to write down uh, our scenarios and then magically they'll be automated and they can run, right? And so you kind of burst their bubble a little bit, like, well, you're actually going to need somebody to write some code to actually glue this stuff together. And it's like, okay, okay, that's fine. I can get the developer or I'll get an automation engineer to do that. What they don't account for is that everyone might not be on board with this. And so what I've seen a lot, especially when this idea is coming from a tester or a test manager, is that it's really hard to get it adopted, um, the production uh, or the product owners or BAs might say, oh, I don't want to do it. That's just another thing for me to do. I don't know how to do it. Or they're really resistant to it. Mm-hmm. Developers feel like, uh, oh, it's another meeting, another mm-hmm. layer I have to worry about. I don't want to do it. 
but test managers are so um, excited about this possibility of having this uh, automation that's going to be executable based on the scenarios that their team writes. And so they're really invested in that piece. So they end up saying, you know what? Forget everybody else. We're still going to do it. I have a tester and I have an automation engineer. Those are two roles. Let them be the two amigos, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, the testers will go ahead and write their scenarios and the, the automation person will execute it. Um, the issue with that, one of the biggest issues I've seen with that, um, so when BDD, I think, was developed, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, you know a lot more than I do, but when this was created, it was from a place of uh, maybe business analysts or product owners kind of leading the writing of the requirements or the scenarios, um, and so they write that at a much higher level, right? Testers write scenarios a lot differently, so they yeah. are very detailed in yeah. how they write a scenario. Click this. Click that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so that's how they write their um, feature files as well. And so that, that doesn't translate very well when you're trying to actually <laughs> tie this into code, right? So that it becomes a... <laughs> um, very kind of dra dragged out, I guess. Um, and so that's, that's been a real challenge in getting it to work. Some teams have been successful with it. They just go with it. Um, no matter how many times you try to tell them, oh, this should be more succinct and you want this to read at like a business level. It's like, uh, yeah, whatever. Click this, click <laughs> that. <laughs> and they just go with it. And yeah. you know what? They, it works for them. I've seen teams yeah. where that actually works for them. And as much as I call them the, the BDD purists, and I probably lump you in that group too, Matt, <laughs> but the BDD purists will, you know, say that, oh, this is absolutely incorrect. This is yeah, not. Yeah, we're going to send the BDD police around. <laughs> exactly. This is, this is not BDD. And you know what? They get that. These teams yeah. understand that, you know what, I'm not doing BDD. Well, it's, but but I it's am, a lot better than running through Excel spreadsheets by hand for three exactly weeks at the end right. of the That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So they that. use they use Cucumber for, for, for their own good. And yeah. hey. I mean, my hope for teams like that is that that's like the gateway drug, right? And then, you know, Cucumber gets into the team and then maybe they hire someone like you or me to come and like hang out with them. And then we start to sow the seeds of like, hey, maybe you could get the developers involved in this. And then, you know, gradually the ice starts to melt and everybody starts to, to, to do things together. Yeah. I feel like, you know, maybe somebody buys a copy of the Cucumber book or something and then they, the ideas start to spread. So I, I like, yeah, I don't have any judgment of people doing it that way i think whether what we've seen um we've definitely seen that happen like what i mm -hmm. what i talk about where it's just been the, the seeds that started it out um and the interesting thing about like when you talk about maintainability of code is that actually that like click this um fill in that type of like if mm -hmm. your scenarios read like that there's actually very little code you need to write in between that and Selenium, right? Because mm -hmm. it's pretty much just like mapping to methods on the Selenium API. Right. And so you haven't got a lot of Java step definition code to maintain. Right. You've just got tons and tons <laughs> of really long uh, Gherkin scripts that no one's ever going to read and make any sense of. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So the teams that I have seen do that, they don't typically get the development buy-in or the um, yeah. 
or the the BAs buying and reviewing those and helping to write those. I think that if they did it at a higher level in the way that it was designed, it may, there could be a possibility to kind of get those other players on board. Yeah. So so tell me about that because it sounds like you've d- definitely had some success. I don't know whether you've actually ever like changed a team, but you've definitely experienced it working right. Like mm-hmm. what can people do if they're in that position and recognize that they'd like there to be greater collaboration going on in their team, what kinds of things have you tried and done to help help make that happen? Um, so one team was uh, highly success- successful. Um, and I think the reason for that was getting the right people on board early. So me as pitching it as a tester or a consultant, that didn't really get the buy-in. But one, I kind of talk with people one-on-one. Like, So a key player was the, the development architect. And so um, he got on board with it and said, sure, yeah, let's try it out. And I kind of pushed it on him to get everyone else on board. And that seemed to work. So developers were like, oh, well, if our architect is saying that this is something we should try, then we're going to give it a try. Mm. Um, If all of the developers say, you know what, we would like our requirements written this way and we want to talk about it, then usually the business analyst is sure, fine, right? Um, And so having just uh, someone else kind of influence the decision um, seemed to work really well. And on a team where I did that, um, singing the praises and, and calling out the successes um, was great in that company, not just for that team. So they felt really proud about it and they wanted to do it more. But then we did presentations to all the other teams like, look, we implemented this new practice. We f- um, completed our sprints a whole lot faster because of it. Um, there was n- not this whole miscommunication between requirements. Um, developers didn't develop the wrong thing and then have to come back to either the BA or test and say, oh, that's what you meant and redo <laughs> it. So there was time saved on that. And then, yeah, after we wrote everything out, we wrote a little code that kind of glued it all together. And guess what? Our tests are automated at the end of the sprint as well. And so you start calling that out and people were just like, wow, we want that too. How do we get involved? And so other teams within the company, um, it became more of a pull instead of a push. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think what you said there then is it's about finding the influential people and sort of influencing the influencers. Yes. Rather than trying to do it directly. <laughs> and then when, when you start to see that stuff, to generate some success then really like piling piling praise on and sort of amplifying Mm -hmm. that and then encouraging people to speak about and tell tell their story right and people love numbers like the you know uh, execs Mm. love numbers so i i did a little um comparison from the previous sprint where we didn't use um bdd and then the next sprint where we did and looked at how much more efficient we were when we did BDD um, with, you know, real numbers and statistics. So that speaks volumes to people who yeah. love those sorts of things. 
Yeah, it really works though. It's it's true. It, yeah, like, it, and it's true. So it sounds yeah. it sounds um, it gives people a lot more confidence. I think when you when you when you've quite, when you can quantify something. So what do, what kind of things did you measure there then to to prove the 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 success of your experiment? I measured um, how many stories we were able to close. I mean, yeah, how many stories we were able to close. Um, I measured. Let me see. Let me pull it up. I blogged about this. Um, okay, yeah. So I measured the percentage of uh, story points that we completed. Um, before, we weren't able to actually complete everything we committed to. But after we did BDE, right. we were at like 120%. Not only did we complete everything we committed to, we were able to pick up more things as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's a key thing that people will present to us when they come for training and stuff is, um, you know, we, we, we can't meet deadlines. We can't meet commitments right. where things are, things are stories are coming into the sprint and then they're just exploding <laughs> into like way more detail than we'd, than we'd anticipated. And when you're in that type of yeah. situation, the last thing you want to hear is, Oh, let's add on additional efforts of having uh, this whole BDD and, and more meetings and right. more communications. Like, no, 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 no. We just want everyone working, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but this proves that, you know, if you take a little bit more time and, and, and do that investment up front, then it pays off. Yeah. But it is that investment, isn't it? I think that's sometimes the difficult thing is getting people to, recognize that they're going to need to just take that little bit of breathing space give people a bit of time to get things in order and, and sort it out and, and improve so they can they can sort of pick it like level up basically isn't it it's right. like before start to perform at a new level yeah yeah um the other thing i'm curious to ask you about then just generally is like so i mean you've always done test automation rather than testing as such right yes so you've always been in there automating tests. One of the things that we get asked about quite a bit, like we'll come into organizations and they've been doing software kind of back to front, as I like to say, for years. So, you know, developers write all the bugs and then testers find all the bugs and then developers fix some of those bugs, maybe make some more and eventually they get something stable enough and they release it. But they're, they're very much trapped in that like burn the toast, scrape the toast mm-hmm. kind of way of, of building stuff. Um, and they have legions of people who are, their profession is, you know, finding the, the burnt bits on the toast and, and logging it in, in reports. Um, and they say, you know, or, or we have open spaces there and the testers are saying, like, what is our role going to be? What's our role? Now everything's getting automated. What are we going to do? And some of them are um, being encouraged or some, sometimes even, to my uh, distress, being told that they need to cross-train and learn Java because they're going to have to start doing test automation. What do you think about all that stuff? Like, What, what can testers do now in the, in the brave new world where there are people like you who are really great at automating a lot of the work that they might have been doing by hand before, which, you know... Yeah was probably pretty mundane and dull. I I think that um, definitely the space is changing. But I strongly believe that there's still a place for testers, probably more than before even. Um, yes, 
I'm automating things. We're automating things. But we're not automating all the things. We can't. We can't possibly keep up with that. Um, and so that's where we need testers to kind of fill in those gaps. I, I want to test most of the things. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more that I would like tested than I can possibly automate. So um, I love working with testers to say, you know what, let's lay out the plan. What's the test plan? Let's lay it out. Let's see where you would have, where you would utilize me. What do you want me to automate versus what are you going to handle? And so I yeah. feel like that's where testers can shine to say, yes, listen, this is all that I, we need to cover. And as opposed to thinking of automation as something that's replacing them, think of it as something that they can utilize to help them, right? Um, and, and automation is bigger than, than just writing the test scenarios. I've worked on uh, some of the newer technologies, such as machine learning, for example. Um, in that, I was tasked with automating some scenarios for machine learning. Um, what I had to do was much different than when I was automating just web scenarios, for example. I had to do a lot of coding to train the system, for example. I had to do a lot of um, analyzing the data to figure it out. And I had to put on my tester hat to do a lot of that. It wasn't just scripting there. So I look at the future technologies such as machine learning and IoT and AI and things like this where um, programming and scripting and automation will be helpful, but we're definitely going to need testers who can look at things um, with deep thought, um, testers who can come up with all of these scenarios, there's a lot of things that can go wrong when we start looking at these advanced technologies. And so we need testers who can understand that and um, do what they do. This is what they do. Uh, most of the testers mm -hmm. that I know, the really good ones, um, are brilliant, very, very thoughtful, able to look at an application. And it's not like the burnt toast piece, right? What, you saw how brilliant testers were when you started putting them in these agile environments and they needed to test a little bit earlier. And when I say test, I don't mean poking at the application, but actually going to design meetings and interacting with the product owners and the developers. That's when I saw how brilliant they were because they were able to find defects before any code has even been written. They're yeah. able to basically test your thoughts and the design and um, the requirements at a level that the people who are tasked with doing that, like the, the, the BAs, the developers, things that they had not thought of. I've seen testers in meetings yeah. and I just look at them in awe because they'll say something like, okay, um, the product owners say, here's the requirement, here's the design. The developers say, oh, yeah, 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 we can do that, blah, 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 we can do this. The tester will come in and say, no, this, this and that is going to break. And they have this holistic view of the application where they can yeah. see how that's not going to work with all of these other layers. So I think um, there's definitely a place for testers. I can't automate something like that, right? There's definitely a place for testers, and I think um, they should step into that boldly. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's a really. I I really agree with you, and it's a really sort of optimistic message, isn't it? So it's almost like the testers need to be delegating to automation people to just yeah. get the detailed bits done, but they see the whole strategy exactly. And the and the automated tests are just the tactics, yeah. the the details. Yeah, although they're fun details. I love that you call it a craft. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, well, we're sort of like 50 minutes. I don't know whether, is there anything else? Is there anything you want to ask me about? Do you want to turn it around? Yeah. So let me ask you, Matt, um, is there anything that we can do as an industry? Let's say, um, so like I mentioned, I haven't seen where BDD can be adopted when it comes from tests. Um, however, if someone else, uh, most of the times where I've seen it be successful is where product or dev has been the one to request that we use this approach. Is there any advice that you can give us in the testing world on how to get more team adoption for BDD when it's our idea? Hmm. So I think I sort of asked you that question earlier, didn't I? So this is a good one. Because so, the thing that you said earlier on about trying to influence the influencers, I think is is crucial in that what you need to do is you need to get the developers to start believing that testing is part of their job, right? So a lot of places I go testing to developers is writing some unit tests after they've written their code and t doing tdd like literally i'm not going to change the code unless a, an automated test of some description is forcing me to change the code it's just a paradigm shift in the in the way you think about doing software development and once the light goes on most people i know they kind of never really go back like I'll still write spikes sometimes when I know that's the right thing to do. But in general, it, you could take TDD from my cold, dead hands. Like I just, <laughs> I just can't imagine wanting to try and the stress of trying to like keep a code base working without knowing that I've got this set of tests that I can just run like that and they're going to tell me that it's all working. So having experienced that, it would be very difficult to go back. And I think that once you get developers to experience that, then they suddenly start to see the value of testing and they want to do it. And then you start to, you've tipped over into that pull state, right? Where now it's like, oh, hey, Angie, I'm trying to write this test and I think you might be able to help me with this. Could you show me how to do that? You know, and they start to kind of recognize, you get that empathy and that that's how it's going to happen. And so I think a lot about, and I still don't really have a good answer for you about like, what is it that, clicks the developer over like what do you do to help them to see see how much better it could be and I think I do think an awful lot of it is about sort of fear and pressure like I see so many development teams that are really under a lot of pressure they are. from management they really are. <laughs> um, because it takes an excruciatingly long time doesn't it to yeah. knock features out of a code base it's like get on with it <laughs> so I understand that um, and, you know, the world's very competitive and people are <laughs> making products all the time and you've got to keep up with your competitors and, yeah, it's all changing all the time. Um, so I understand all that, but I, I think 
in the end, like, if you want your developers to be able to produce truly awesome software and be able to keep on producing it, you know, month in, month out, year in, year out, they've got to be doing TDD. And if you want them to step change to TDD, you've got to give them a bit of space to learn how to do it. Like the majority of the pushback I see from t- from developers about doing TDD is that they they know that it's going to slow them down for a bit while they learn how to do it. And they just like, I can't do that. It would be irresponsible of me to do that. And it's own. I mean, like I, when I first learned TDD or like really clicked into TDD, I had taken a vow, a secret vow when I took a new job that I was not going to write a line of code without a test forcing me to do it. And I was going to just see how long I could get away with it for (laughs) and see if I was going to get fired. And, um, you know, I got away with it for, for like six, nine months. And, and I guess probably it realistically, it probably took me about two or three months before I really felt like I was faster. Mm-hmm. You, know, you hear people like mm. Uncle Bob um, talking about, oh, yeah, you know, TDD is way faster. But the thing, the truth is, it is faster in the end. And like I say, you could take it from my cold, dead hands. But <laughs> you definitely feel initially when you try it that it's slower because mm-hmm. you're front loading the pain because you're having to do all of that like figuring out of how am I going to test this thing mm-hmm. at the beginning um, and you don't know how to do it and probably also you're living in a legacy code base yeah. right where which yeah. is like the worst possible <laughs> environment to try and learn to do anything good isn't it right <laughs> So you, you combine all of those things, right? You've got pressure from a, a, a manager. You've got, you know, uh, I was going to say incompetence. That's not true. But just like lack of experience, lack of knowledge about how to do it mm-hmm. and a, a, a horrible code base to have to learn it in. Right. It's not surprising that people push back, is it? It's so not. You've got to try and you've got to try and fix like at least two of those three things, Angie. That's what you need to do okay. if you want the developers to, to, to fix. <laughs> so get the managers to relax and uh what was the which was the other one that you might be able to change um yeah help them learn i think you know things like like if you if you know how to do tdd if you know how to practice it um which you basically are doing anyway right if you're doing test automation you probably write the test and then you start writing your automation code underneath it um but if you know the practice then you can do like lunchtime dojos with developers Mm -hmm. where it's you're playing in a safe code base not a, not their big gnarly ugly legacy one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I and might I might uh, set up a little class here at Twitter. We have like a Twitter university where you know anyone can do a class, and I just put a uh, an automation class out um, this weekend, and it's almost full already. So that's yeah. just so great that's to really see good. that people are interested in learning it. But yeah, I might do one about TDD. It's really funny, you know. I'd love to love to hear how it goes. Um, I saw Kent Beck talking recently, and he was talking about when he first went to Facebook, and they have some similar thing like that Facebook. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he he talks about how he like he put up a thing saying, "Well, I'll do a workshop about TDD." And he was, you know, he was saying like, "I was trying not to be egotistical, but I figured that like <laughs> I'm the guy that invented TDD. This is a great big software development shop. Probably there's going to be quite a lot of people in my session." And right. apparently, there was like five people showed up <laughs> because nobody at Facebook gave a shit about TDD at the time. <laughs> they didn't know who he was. I don't think. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, on that note, I'm just going to say thanks ever so much. It's been a delight to have you on. Um, and I, I think our listeners are going to learn a load. So, And, and um, they can learn even more by going to your wonderful website and watching your talks and reading your posts. And thank you ever so much for just 
um, making such an effort with that site to keep it, you know, full of interesting stuff. It's it's terrific. Thank you, man. It's a real credit to you for, for you. you know, sharing everything that you know. It's great. Thanks, Thanks. so much. <laughs>